as we continue worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse. Let us receive together the word of God. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, friends, let us receive the words of the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter, beginning in the 32nd verse. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in the synagogues and casting out demons. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Help us to receive your holy and living word and to be strengthened and renewed on the way. Amen. Let's talk about demons. What comes up when you hear that word? Perhaps it's an image from a story or a movie. Perhaps it's a feeling of fear or anxiety. Maybe it's a particular person or group. Perhaps the word demon raises curiosity or maybe a description or explanation of what a demon is from previous study. I imagine that many will understand that things we now explain through medical science may very well have been called the work of demons in the first century. In verse 32 of our gospel text today, people bring to Jesus those possessed with demons. And to be possessed is 
just a simple definition. To be possessed is to be influenced or controlled by something. Demons, also thought of as fallen angels, are generally understood as spiritual beings who are against God, literally anti-Christ. The Greek word in verse 32 is daimonid somenus, meaning to fall under the power of a demon. So one way to think about demon possession is a person who willingly or unwillingly has a a malevolent spirit in their lives in a way that controls or influences them. As a result, these persons do harm to themselves or to others. I wonder what comes to mind as potential current examples or experiences of this. The same word, diamonid somenus, can be translated demonized. Consider, to fall under the power of a demon or fallen angel may also be understood as a life owned, curtailed, or damaged by anti-God beings outside the self, beings acting upon a person rather than within a person's life. Hear the story with this way of translating the word. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or demonized. Those who are demonized may have been named as evil, as worthy of contempt or blame. Why? Well, why are people demonized today? Because of who they are, what they look like, what they have, what they've done, what they've said. Scapegoating and blaming and tribal hatred, hatreds and prejudice, all of that is both ancient and ever new. Right now, There's a lot of demonization going on. I wager many, if not most of us, will have a person that comes to mind that we could slap the word demon on right now. You may not want to admit it. In any and all the ways that we may think about demon possession, make no mistake that it affects the whole of a person's life. In the culture of Jesus' time, Both illness and diamonid somenus meant separation from community. It meant exclusion, isolation, and often very harsh treatment from others. For those who find the whole idea of demons, hocus pocusy, 
or simply distasteful, let me suggest that you don't have to buy into the notion that there are angelic beings who serve Sauron or Voldemort or Satan in order to acknowledge that evil is real and a powerful force that affects human lives and relationships. Wherever it comes from, there are powers that take hold of humans and lead us to do terrible things. Now, this is not to say that we have no culpability for the harms we commit in a devil made me do it or get out of jail free kind of way. But it is to simply be honest about the forces that tempt us and bind us. Here's a personal example. Over the years, I have grown increasingly aware of and lately increasingly angry about the way that as a white person, I have been soaked in the ways of perceiving, thinking, assuming, and acting from the moment I was born, ways informed by white supremacy. I want to pause a minute for some definition of what I'm talking about when I speak of white supremacy. And I want to give thanks to Dr. Isetta Mobley for sharing her expertise and resources with me. I'm quoting one of those resources here to help us understand white supremacy. Quote, while most people associate white supremacy with extremist groups like the Ku Klux Klan and the neo-Nazis, White supremacy is ever present in our institutional and cultural assumptions that assign value, morality, goodness, and humanity to the white group while casting people and communities of color as worthless immoral, bad, inhuman, and undeserving. Legendary scholar Barbara Smith writes, quote, Toxic as such beliefs are, white supremacy is not merely the individual, individual delusion of being superior to black people. Institutionalized white supremacy does not need individual bigotry in order to function. I'm going to say that one more time. Institutionalized white supremacy does not need individual bigotry in order to function because it is a universal operating system that relies on 
entrenched patterns and practices to consistently disadvantage people of color and to privilege whites. You see, white supremacy is baked in to our political, economic, and cultural systems. It fuels widespread ideas of white superiority and entitlement, both consciously and unconsciously. Being completely unaware or intentionally denying this state of things leaves a person like me, like a bull in a china shop, bound to break and destroy and do harm to siblings. But here's the thing. Awareness of the reality and the power of white supremacy doesn't mean that I automatically can stop the behaviors or the assumptions or the micro or macro aggressions against my siblings of color, no matter how much I desire to. The last thing I want to do consciously is to do harm. And even when I'm trying to be a good ally, a loving sibling, I hurt people I love. I hurt people I honor and admire. And it makes me angry that I didn't get any choice about being formed in a white supremacist culture. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm just telling my truth. I didn't get any choice. I, it's simply the water in which we all swim. I am bound by it, scarred and stained by it. It is a power that is not of God, that is directly opposed to the love of God and of neighbor that is directly in conflict with the kingdom of God, that is the heart of Jesus' proclamation. You see, I am at some level possessed by, under the influence of, the demon of white supremacy. Unchecked, this leads to demonizing, blaming, belittling, silencing, excluding people of color. It can also, frankly, lead me to demonize those I blame for fueling and continuing to sustain the white supremacy that I and all of us were born into. It makes me sad and angry that there's so much daimonic power at work in and around me. Thanks be to God that Jesus is more powerful than the demons. 
and that Jesus loves me and loves you. Thanks be to God that Jesus shuts down the demonic voices. Thanks be to God that Jesus proclaims in word and deed the good news of the kingdom that sets captives free, that removes blinders that keep us from perceiving and gives us freedom and power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in any form they present themselves. You see, we do have free will. You can choose. I can choose whose influence and whose control we surrender to. If we choose Jesus, our priorities will begin to reflect the love, compassion, and justice of God. And when we inevitably fall or push someone else down, Jesus will be there to forgive us and help us all get back up and stay on the journey. Under the influence of Jesus, you will find yourselves being honest about the state of your own life, what's real in the world, and you'll be willing to call out that which is doing harm in yourself and the harm being done to siblings, bodies, and spirits. When we are possessed by the love of God through Jesus, we will be willing to risk much in our resistance of evil in the world. We will be willing to try and fail and try and try and try and keep going. I'm painfully aware that truly moving toward both awareness of white supremacy and the concrete changes such awareness inspires will be easier for individuals than for groups. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letter from the Birmingham City Jail, quote, individuals may see the moral light and voluntarily give up their unjust posture but as Reinhold Niebuhr has reminded us, groups are more immoral than individuals. He goes on to ask, is organized religion too inextricably bound to the status quo to save our nation and the world? That remains a very live question. From where I sit, King's assessment of the American church has shifted little. He wrote, quote, so here we are moving toward the exit of the 20th century with a religious community largely adjusted to the status quo, standing as a taillight behind other community agencies rather than a headlight leading people to higher levels of justice. He goes on, so often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. 
So often it is an arch defender of the status quo, far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. Foundry has been known over the years to at least try to be headlights that lead to higher levels of justice. We take pride in this piece of our identity and call. We take every piece of our call to love God, love neighbor, and change the world seriously and to put it into action concretely. We do speak up and speak out. We do show up and stand in solidarity. We do try and keep trying. And at the same time, we as a whole are possessed by, under the influence of, the white supremacy daimonian that took up residence in the body of our nation from the beginning. The demon that afflicts the United Methodist Church and every faith community. As a group, we at Foundry, our comfort, our privilege, loyalties, and familiar ways of being, create their own obstacles to really breaking from the status quo. And we are not immune from the temptation to demonize those we believe are doing harm. Wokeness doesn't get rid of white supremacy. Sometimes it even creates a playground for new little demons to gather. So what do we do? Dr. King writes, I have consistently preached that nonviolence demands that the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek. I've tried to make clear that it is wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends, but now I must affirm that it is just as wrong or perhaps even more so to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. In other words, in our desire to create change, to bring justice, to clearly name and rebuke the powers of systemic racism and white supremacy, we must not allow ourselves to be possessed by hatred or violence. Our means must be aligned with the way of Jesus, a way that is always the way of love and compassion. And we must also be acutely aware of how easy it is to make excuses, to fall back on rationalizations, existing immoral laws, loopholes, 
and perceived obstacles that keep us bound in and by the white supremacy-soaked status quo that fails to do justice. In short, we are called to try to do what's right for the right reasons in the right way. I honestly believe that's what most folks are yearning for, not for a community that's perfect, but one that is honest and trying in every way to have integrity as followers of Jesus. And make no mistake, this is exhausting. It takes a lot of energy, resources, and time. Dr. King lifts up inspiring examples of those who were, as he called them, the real heroes in the South. Those who faced, quote, jeering and hostile mobs with the agonizing loneliness that characterizes the life of the pioneer, the old, oppressed, battered Negro women symbolized in a 72-year-old woman in Montgomery, Alabama, Mother Pollard, who rose up with a sense of dignity and with her people decided not to ride segregated buses and who responded with ungrammatical profundity to one who inquired about her weariness. She said, my feet is tired, but my soul is at rest. These and other heroes are remembered because they did what they could they acted with integrity. They faced the daimonion of white supremacy without returning hate for hate, blow for blow, and they kept going. How will we be known? How will we be remembered as individuals and as a congregation? Will we go down in history as a people who did all in our power to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to lovingly, peacefully and courageously resist and dismantle the powers of white supremacy in our lives and in our congregation and in our nation? I pray we won't let the privilege of wealth or whiteness lull us to sleep or convince us that this has nothing to do with our lives. I pray that all of us in the Foundry family will remember that we are family and that we, like Jesus, can wait on the Lord in prayer and let God renew our strength so that even when our proverbial feet grow tired from the long journey, our souls will be rested in the knowledge that we are marching upward to Zion, to the kingdom, to the beautiful city of beloved community that is promised by the God whose power is second to none. May it be so. Amen. Amen.